Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Now you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six oh, days. I'm going to need it. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to one field and we'll see them. What you're doing down here, you're showing me, man. There was something about the way the Arsenal players all stood around watching three West Brom players practically murder each other to head the ball into their net for the third goal on Saturday that made me think, you know, these guys, these Arsenal boys may not be totally switched on and fully motivated at the moment. You're very welcome to the Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hi, Hi Ken. Hi, Kieran. Hello there, Ron. Uh, Alan, Alan, Alex, Oxlade-Chamberlain, um, came out and apologised to the fans after the game. Mm-hmm. If I was an Arsenal fan, I'd be thinking, thanks, Oxlade-Chamberlain, but we would rather you turn around and face the corner as it's about to be kicked in rather than having to apologise <laughs> for it afterwards. They looked, they just looked demoralised. I wasn't sure exactly what a demoralised rabble looked like until I saw the Arsenal team trudging off the pitch after their 3-1 defeat at the weekend. I think yeah. uh, on you, maybe you've never taken part in a grand gesture, but a grand gesture is of, often easier to organise than the <laughs> small incremental improvements throughout one's life <laughs> to make the point that a grand gesture gets across so much easier. I think that maybe that's where the ox was coming from. Yeah, Thierry Henry wasn't too impressed with it. With the defending of that corner in particular? Or the apology? With with anything he saw from the Arsenal No, he was very... He was, he was about as angry, he was about as emotional as I've ever, I've ever seen him on TV. Is the Arsenal shirt too heavy for you? <laughs> Stop hiding behind Arsene Wenger and be more than mediocre, um, which was his comment. Um, yeah, it, do, it does look as though a few of those boys are having a bit of a breakdown. You know, uh, I mean, it's it's bewildering what's happening. You know, it's four defeats in five. So it's the worst run Arsene Wenger's Arsenal have ever had in the Premier League since he took over. And they've lost six out of nine, I think, is it uh, over the last while. They've only beaten Sutton and Lincoln in in the last little run. Um, oh, they beat, did they beat Hull as well? So Holland, that was nine, yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, Pulis. P- did you see Tony Pulis? <laughs> yeah, we're talking about how easy it was to beat them with corners. Tony Pulis just surgically breaks it down. Yeah. Uh, they mark with five players across six yard box. They have two players to try and block your runners. So if you get away from one of the blocks, you're running at a standing object. And someone with a standing jump working against a person with a running jump, I'll bet my bottom dollar the person with the running jump will score. We've Parti- worked on that, but you have to have someone who wants to head it yeah. and you have to have the quality that comes in. It particularly works when one of the blockers, is that what he talked about? Mm. The, yeah, when one of the blockers isn't really paying attention, probably helps matters. I think I think the Ox might have been a blocker. Yeah, he was. And uh, he he was um, he was just lost in his own world a little bit. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe he was in grip by the sense of uncertainty around the club. Mm. Um, this is the, the bizarre thing about what's happening at Arsenal because Arsene Wenger comes out afterwards and he's kind of twinkly-eyed and, and like, he's, he's sort of coyly talking about his future, you know? And, and, and saying, you know, with like a, a little uh, wry smile, you know, oh, you'll know soon enough. Oh, 
you'll hear my decision soon. I have made my decision. But like LeBron Wenger doesn't want to give the decision yet. He's going to build up the tension a little bit before he gives the before he tells us where his, he's taking his talents next season. Half hour special on Sky Sports. It's amazing. Arsene Wenger, the decision. So today, all of the all of the papers, the not all the papers, but but quite a few of the uh, Arsenal correspondents, or you know, the journalists who cover Arsenal a lot, have all reported he's going to stay. I'm not fucking leaving. <laughs> he's going to stay, and uh, you know, this has not been confirmed. I mean, Wenger said he hadn't told anybody. He, you know, no one, no one gets to know. I mean, he, it's it is a bizarre situation that he's the one who gets to decide this. You know, he's the he is literally the last person who should be deciding this. But for whatever reason, that's the way that Arsenal have have decided it's going to be. He pretty much gets to make the decision as to whether he should offer himself a new contract, and of mm. course, also take up that new contract. It's actually quite hard to negotiate a deal in that situation. Oh, it is. Yeah, thought, no, the figure know? is always difficult because Arsene versus Arsene, they're both hard yeah. bargainers. But yeah. usually they're, they're not prepared to yield an inch. No, neither one. I mean, the fact is that very few people are prepared to sack themselves. Hmm. You know? Even, okay, so what if you got a few loud mouths, a few empty vessels, you know, moaning about this and that? But are you going to sack yourself? Kevin Keegan was one of the few. Kevin Keegan actually did, yeah. Kevin Keegan did. Went into the toilet at, at Wembley and made up his mind he couldn't go on. I'm a bit short for the job. I'm a bit short for this job. That was Kevin Keegan's heart-rending admission on live television. I, I you know, I can't do it anymore. Um, but Kevin Keegan clearly didn't feel the sense of ownership about uh, England, the England national team job, as Arsene Wenger feels about Arsenal. I mean, if you tell, if Arsenal Wenger has been at Arsenal for so long, you know, if Kevin Keegan was to have been the England manager for that long, he would have been the manager several years before he stopped playing for England. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, Arsene Wenger, before the Bayern game, um, the second Bayern game, 5-1 down, answering questions from the German media, said, well, I built this club. <laughs> well, he built the club up, certainly. He took the club on. But Arsenal was there before Arsene Wenger. They had won the league five years before he arrived. They had. They had. And, and okay, they'd, they'd been through a bit of a slump. But, you know, they the league title in 89, league title in 91, cup double in 93, cup winners <laughs> cup in 94. You know, it was actually one of the most successful periods in Arsenal's post-war history. Uh, and okay, they had they had sort of gone, you know, they 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 lost their way a little bit with Bruce Rioch and, you know, a few of their players were having problems, Merson, Adams and so on. But, well, you know, it was a... It was still one of the big clubs when he arrived. He didn't really build it, but I, I do think he feels that way now. Everything about this club now is my creation. And for me to leave this club would be like abandoning my child. You know, and he's not going to do it. But he's got this big problem, which is that it's just the same. At least this season is something a bit different. Because as he said himself, and, and it was amazing to hear him just casually come out with this line. He says, well... I've done the top four 20 times as though it was like old hat. And he says, on the sporting front, it would be a blow. But financially, the Champions League doesn't have the impact it had five or six years ago because of the influx of television money. It's not the end of the world. If we don't finish in the top four, sure, we've got a battle on. And it's amazing, amazing to hear him um, suddenly dismiss the thing that he himself has held up as the gold standard for it the It is last. also a trophy. It, it's also a trophy. But, it's, you know, it's, it's nearly £50 million. Pounds. That's that's been one of the big uh, things that he's always been able to point to. Hey, I deliver, and and now he's just kind of saying, oh, you know, that's it's you know, let's try and do it. But maybe this is actually gonna be, you know, the problem that the, the big problem he has is that it's always been the same. It's just the same. And if football is sensation, sensation is change. Sensation literally is change. If things are the same for long enough, you stop being able to notice. You know what I mean? Hmm. If there's no if there's no kind of fluctuation, if there's no ups or downs, you you your sort of perception of anything is based on is this different from how things just were? And if it's just the same, eventually it's just this numbness. Unless you're winning all the time, unless you're winning the league every year, which would be probably yeah. But even better. that, you know, you know, the, the, you know the way a club that wins all the time eventually loses all the joy of winning and just becomes incredibly angry at any defeat. You know, the winning is just normal and. And anything less is an utter disgrace and disaster. You know, you've, you, it's it's 
it, it's you can accustom yourself to anything if it's the same. So Wenger, now that it seems as though the league is out of sight and you know the Champions League is is, is maybe unwinnable for Arsenal at the moment, is going to try taking things the other way. How about give these people a little bit of a taste of what they've been avoiding this last twenty years by crashing down to mid table, and maybe that all suddenly, you know, help people's help bring people's perspective back. Maybe this is uh, the master plan. I'm not sure. I hope I hope that's it. I can't think of anything else that could be going on. There's a tweet here from Stephen Eustace, who was at our big live show in London. Great night at Second Captains Live. The football geek off did get a bit heated, but no retainers were broken and no prescription shoes thrown. Come on now. Come that's on. Ju- it was a fusion of football podcasts. There were no football podcast dorks there. It was just Gabriele Marcotti from The Game and Barry Glendening from Football Weekly and Ken Early here from Second the Captains. King, of course, Ken Early. The King indeed. And that's not all. I remember Dougie said to me, he said, look, if you don't want to train, you don't have to. He said, honestly, he said, just, just, he said, just, just come down on a Thursday. He said, just like, so I was just, that kind of sold it to me, really. And then, uh, and then um, played uh, Sheffield Wednesday on the Saturday and we won 2-0. And then, honestly, we won eight games in a row and went top of the championship. It was like, it was the weirdest, strangest the, thing ever. The, the Damien Delaney No, it wasn't, actually. I should have, I should have. <laughs> and I was going to approach Roy. My priority of all was to pick the best squad of players that I thought were going to achieve results for us into the future. That if I thought Roy was good enough to play, I was going to try and get him to play. And if he didn't want to play, that's fine. Yeah, Damien Delaney was in Camden to tell us the story of how he went from the Premier League debut against Roy Keane in midfield for Leicester City against Manchester United. I think he said it was 16 years ago. 2001, 2001, yeah. yeah. Around this time, 16 years ago, threw a football life in the lower leagues for a large part to uh, return in the top flight with Crystal Palace in the last few years. He's a really good guy. That story he told was, the, the little clip you heard was of him at the start of his Palace days, the Delaney effect there, taking them from just out of administration. I'm not sure he took them out of administration himself. I don't know if his skill set extends that far. But yeah, he joined them. They just started winning loads of matches, got promoted and have never looked back up until this season where they find themselves in a bit of a relegation dogfight. But that's well worth listening to on the World Service. You can subscribe on secondcaptains.com and you can also hear Brian Kerr who spoke brilliantly in the player's chair there with Richie Sadler. Their shared recollections of good times together in one of those great youth teams is worth a listen. And they're not so good times together in charge of St. Pat's. Uh, an element of the interview that Richie seemed more willing to get into in detail than I think Brian did but you can have a listen to all that to them um, sparked off with you there very well I greatly enjoyed it and I can say that despite getting slagged off at the start of that podcast yet again report on sport please did you get slagged off? the very opening intro was how the dead wood had been cast aside oh that's right Richie Richie's oh no you were okay you were well, actually, for your you, job no actually I think you might have no I think you egged him on but he lustily joined in on. That's my recollection of it. That's just for entertainment. See, Richie's actually Snake trying to take grass. my job, where Ken's just doing it for entertainment purposes. Well, I, I, it doesn't matter to me. You're sitting over there. Well, look, it's it's uh, it is the beginning of international week, but it's actually okay this time. I mean, usually, we we, we pre- when we preface uh, weeks like that. Maybe in the last, at times, let's say, over the last five or six years, there has been an element of dread. But uh, this week is proper huge. Yeah, it's uh, it's really big. Um, we do, we're missing quite a lot of players, is the unfortunate thing. Uh, we're we're missing a ton of, of players. Um, uh, from Harry Arthur, Wes Hulahan, uh, massive losses for us. Seamus Coleman and Jonathan Hayes have both sat out to training today. Uh, Daryl Murphy's having a scan, so maybe he's going to be out as well. James McCarthy is in the squad, um, but uh, it's it's not a good it's not a good situation. Duffy is out, broken Tar, so Brady's out, suspended. Um, five of the players who started in Austria, which was one of their best performances for a long time, are out. So we're missing some big physicality at the back and a lot of guile a lot of guile a lot of around, craft around the pitch and you know in, mid, in midfield I mean Hulahan who sets everything up for us uh, Harry Arter who I think has been having a really good season and I thought was fantastic in Austria uh, we're going to miss him so. yeah the Arter situation is f- quite frustrating through no fault of anybody's just he keeps getting injured at difficult times mm. uh, and he anytime he's in there he looks as though he is exactly what we thought James McCarthy might be earlier in his career yeah, quite a dominant like a more presence. active more yeah, dynamic like kind a more of. active dynamic guy who's snapping tackles as well as using the ball intelligently 
but unfortunately we miss seeing that again. Yeah, so I mean, that the whole international uh, thing, we've got all week to talk about it. It's just getting underway today. We will speak to Emmett Malone uh, a little bit later in the show just to just to hear what's what was happening out there today. Uh, in the meantime, I guess we should talk about what was happening over the weekend, particularly yesterday. Can I just say how... I want to say how sorry I felt for Yaya Toure yesterday. Did you watch? Did you see this? Yeah, well, yeah. Why are you I, sorry for it? It's. It was really. It was terrible. Remember Gary Neville talking about? Oh, I, I just came off the field at halftime against West Brom, and I knew that was it. Well, you know, Yaya Toure played okay in mm-hmm. the first half, but the game around him was going on at such a fr- frenetic pace that things began to really get difficult in that second half. It's one thing when, you know, Coutinho sort of scoots away from you a little bit. You know, he kind of knocks the ball inside and scoots away in a wide arc and you can't really seem to get close at all. But when Emre Chan walks past you very deliberately, that's when you know... (laughs) <laughs> you know, you've got a big problem. And in fact, it was it was almost immediately after that incident, Pep Guardiola eventually bit the bullet and said, OK, yeah, yeah, thank you for everything you've done out there, but this is no longer the game for you. He was a lot like... Hoisted up the green screen around yeah, yeah, Dory. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Jared Payne in the rugby was in a similar situation. He hadn't played competitively in a long time, was thrown back into the team at fullback, made a couple of really good early breaks, which was fine, but then... It, they also knackered him completely. And yeah. he wasn't even making any attempt to hide it. He just looked absolutely exhausted. There yeah. was a thought that he might have to be hauled off Yaya Torre style, maybe even in the first half, but I think he got a second wind. Maybe Torre didn't quite. Uh, no, he, he that was ever going to happen. I, I mean, he was... Uh, th- I thought the game was brilliant. I oh, yeah, it was, it was amazing. I thought this is, this is a really good game. Um, this was the type of thing. And it was actually, even though there were a couple of, like, the the referee was getting absolute pelters. It was Michael Oliver from the Man City crowd who felt that he was giving them nothing, you know, and, and uh, you know, being a little bit uh, unfair. Despite that, it was played in, like, a very, you know, a very good sort of spirit. You know, everyone was sort of shaking hands at the end. Everyone was like, oh, you know, compliment. The, the two managers are complimenting each other, you know, talking about what a great game it was. Guardiola's like, it's one of the proudest days of my life. Mm. <laughs> I mean, Pep is awful at this, at this um, PR side of the job. You know, he's good at coaching. He's not so good at this uh, media spin. Why it looked a little bit insincere when he said that? Yeah, I mean, it it did, but you can see what he's trying to do. You know, he 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 was linking it to the Monaco game, you know, which is obviously massive disappointment. And what he's trying to say is the the way the team kept going today, the way they kept uh, chasing. Uh, the spirit they showed, that's that's what we want to see here. And if we played that way against Monaco, we would be through. Um, uh, but I thought, I thought okay, it's a, this is a really good game. Both teams played well. I mean, you could the, the, the defending in the game arguably is not very good. The finishing the game was spectacularly bad. Uh, Sergio Aguero, Adam Lallana, missing simple chances six yards out. But the quality of the play leading up to it. Two teams, I think, with a really clear idea of what they're trying to do. You could see it from Man- the, the, the goal that Manchester City scored. They were trying to score that goal from the first minute. You know, everything they did was was geared to exactly creating exactly that type of chance. Get around James Milner, you know, get to, the, get to these types of positions and hammer the ball across the six-yard line at foot height because that's the only way we're going to score from across. <laughs> uh, but eventually they did. Um, I, I, I mean, Sergio Aguero, afterwards Guardiola, was, was kind of defending him, but defending him in such a way that I still feel he's very much going to be replaced uh, at the end of the season. I mean, it's just, eh, we don't score goals. We don't score easy goals. Guardiola kept... Well, he scored the first easy goal. He scored, he scored an easy enough goal. The t- the, the yeah, I mean, goal. In fact, that, it wasn't even that easy. Yeah. That goal is not really easy. The, yeah, he missed you a much easier to, chance. It's, yeah, it, well, it was. And, and there was a br- the brilliant play with um, Sané, which, which could have made it 2-1, where, where Sané backhielded it. It was Sané, wasn't it? Backhielded it into his path. And Aguero tried, took a touch and then fell over instead of just smashing the ball. Oh, sorry, yeah. I was actually thinking of the volley that he missed later on. Yeah, the, 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 one. the volley was... was uh, I mean, they were, they were everyone was talking about that afterwards. Um, in terms of, oh, you know, but you know, Guardiola saying, "Look, I can't tell Sergio 
player like I, sc- I scored 11 goals in 11 years. I'm not going to tell Sergio how to score goals. Outside the box, yes, I'll basically control everything. Inside the box, uh, it's up to a player like Sergio to score. And, you know, I still don't think he's the type of centre forward that Manchester City are really looking for. They do at least have the type of centre half they're looking for. This is uh, Guardiola after the game talking. Uh, well, he was asked about John Stones, and here's what he had to say. You know, John Stones had more personality than all of us here to wear in this room. More balls than everyone here, guys. So, and I like that place. I love. With under pressure, the people criticize him. The people say, well, he went there and play again and want to play when we talk, when we talk. So I am delighted to have John. With all his huge and amount of mistakes they have, I love him. I love this kind of guys with this personality, because it's not easy to play central defender with this, uh, this uh, with this manager. It's not easy. It's not easy to play. Did you, I mean, he said he said there, even with his huge amount of mistakes. I love it. I love this. Did he mean did it that genuine, or did he mean the huge amount of mistakes that you guys seem to want to point out that he makes? But I don't believe that he makes that many. Well, he, he, he definitely he said John Stones <laughs> has a huge amount of mistakes. I mean, you know, he wasn't trying to deny that John Stones has made a huge amount of mistakes. He just says that he loves that about John Stones. He loves the way he's not afraid to make mistakes, time after time after time. <laughs> and that's More what balls. that is what that is what Pep is, is looking for. And I I, th- I think that he you know, he's got very clear ideas about what he wants to see. You know, he's like, this is the way we're going to play. We're we're a team that's going to attack all the time and that means John Stones' job is going to be really difficult and he will be exposed repeatedly and I need a guy who's who's willing to take that you know because you know you could get defenders who maybe had a little bit more of a selfish kind of pride as opposed to as opposed to the type of fortitude that Pep is talking about balls yeah the ability to take uh, it's it's not I'm just, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out the exact skill set that Pep requires from his centre half then. It's just basically to take embarrassment on the chin week after week after week. Week after week and to keep coming back for more and yeah. to never give up and to always bounce back. No matter how much the pain is radiating from those enormous orbs uh, throughout, uh, through, up through the midriff <laughs> and out to every uh, peripheral uh, it might part have of the to do body. with all of the errors, maybe. Mm? The, the giganticness of his balls might actually More be. Balls. He might be causing like a space the, hopper. Yeah, <laughs> like in South Park. Yeah. It could be. I mean, he. I mean, look, he. <laughs> the, basically, he's supposed to defend with those things. But that. But that's that's the job. You could have a defender who was more who was taking a more. Oh, nobody gets a nobody scores on my clean sheet. I'll defend that sheet of my life, boys, boys. Back, back to the edge of the box. Back, back to the edge of the box. You know, a guy who's leading the defense and says, no, 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 we need to get back. We we, we can't let in a goal. Pepe's saying, no, you've got to be up at the halfway line. You know, 10 yards inside the opponent's half if you really want to play it, play it fast and loose. Um, but that's, that's what he's looking for. He's got clear ideas, and he doesn't care about the sort of petty errors that stones in particular is is hammered for i actually think it's very good for stones i mean people say oh it's bad for john stones he gets criticized so much i don't know i think i think that guardiola is strong enough to actually shield him from that oh well certainly the way he's talking there if i'm john stones and i will definitely hear about that i'd be delighted because you can only assume that's also what's going on behind closed doors and if you feel that protected by a manager you're going to you've got a better chance of coming out the other side of those mistakes, in fairness. Yeah, I mean, it's the guy who, who knows what he's talking about. He's coached some top defenders. You know, he it's... Uh, I think Stones can have a, have a reasonable effect there. And, you know, we haven't really spoken about Liverpool. I thought they played quite well. Also, um, you know, Vinaldum, another brilliant game. I mean, he's a fantastic all-round midfielder. Uh, Could have won the game. Lallana had that unbelievable miss. But again, you know, with the, even with that, you can see the way that this team has got a really clear uh, identity. You know, they, uh, when you see them attacking, it's not, it's not random. You know, everything is sort of happening. When Firmino, the, the move that they were doing, it was Chan, Firmino and Lallana for Lallana's miss. There was nothing uh, improvised about that situation, really. It's Lallana, Firmino knows Lallana's going to be coming in there. You know what I mean? It's not, uh, it's not, like, it's not off the cuff. And I think both of them are playing football of actually a really, uh, a really high level. Unlike, well, this is so. This is what I ended up writing about on um, 
Well, I know. Because I, 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 also, I also haven't... This, That's why I, I could see where this might be going. Hmm. I did my homework ahead of this particular board on sport. So, um, Manchester United played away at Middlesbrough. So 3-1, comfortable win. What's the big deal? Comfortable win. Unbeaten so, now in the league since October the 23rd or something? I can't argue with stats like that. And they had, they had before that Middlesbrough game, thanks to the unbeaten run, gone from 6th to 7th in the league. Uh, although they are now up to 5th, having stepped over the, the prone, the unconscious form of Arsenal. <laughs> and it looks as though, uh, it, it looks as though uh, Arsenal maybe aren't going to be coming back at them for that fourth spot. But, you know, it all remains to be seen. Arsenal have, have uh, shown a way of being able to sling in into those positions in the past. But, okay, so, so, the, so I, mean, I, wrote, I wrote a piece about this game and I suggested maybe Manchester United hadn't really played very well and that there was certain aspects of the way they played which were not good. Which which compared which compared very badly to what you saw in the game between Liverpool and Manchester City. Um, I mean, get into what those were, but but allow me to give you a flavour of some of the reaction now. Um, incredibly biased piece, Ken said, "All duck and no dinner." <laughs> we get it. You don't like Mourinho, but this is like something Miguel Delaney would write. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, Seamus Tracy says bullshit United played brilliantly against Chelsea Liverpool awful against Burnley that was a skeleton United team shut up Nicholas Sutcliffe they get paid for this tripe Uh, to which Niall 84 responds shit ain't it they're pathetic they're Uh, being football journalists they're I think yeah journalists what a load of crap this article was says Aditya Potuval that's two minutes of my life I'm never getting back that's a fast reader Uh, (laughs) Utterly dreadful take, says Tomas Kenny, in which nominally sentient man uses sample size of two <laughs> games to come to grand conclusion. Uh, Roy MUFC says, Roy MUFC, he also calls himself Jose M. Liverpool fan. Love how Moo spends years studying management and winning trophies. Then someone who thought the City game was entertaining claims Jose should change his style, which won in the league only two years ago. And guess what? The entertaining draw were two points dropped. Uh, more impartial journalism from Red Can, says Robert Media. I'd sooner give my five euros a month to ISIS. <laughs> uh, so there you, so yeah, you can see there's a certain, uh, you know, there's a certain unwillingness to, uh, a certain assumption of bad faith on my behalf. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a kind of a, an indignant surprise, a kind of, but didn't you see that Manchester United won this game by three goals to one? But Manchester United have played in Rostov. Manchester United have played in Chelsea. You know, well, you, well, why pick on Jose Mourinho? The reason was that Jose Mourinho's... Well, Joe, it was really... We didn't get a chance to speak about the match for Rostov. The, the Rostov game was during our... Um, live show in London. Live show in London. They played pretty badly in this game. And Jose Mourinho gave a bizarre interview afterwards in which he talked about the enemies, enemies everywhere and talked about fatigue. And there was this whole scene in the game as well with, with Rocco. There was this whole production on the sideline, this pantomime of, let's give the banana to Rocco. Rocco looks like he's about to pass out, you know? He's, he's, he's having a hypoglycemic episode. We need to get this banana to him before he passes out be, due to our fixture list. He's so far on course to only run 10.9 kilometers in this game. We need him to run 11. He, Rocco, get the banana to Rocco, for God's sake. And then Rocco's there eating the banana. And... Uh, well, there was, I mean, uh, the BT Sport discussion of this was, uh, you know, jo- Jose w- was talking afterwards about how the fixture list and, you know, things were piling up. And they said, well, he's creating a siege mentality and psychologically this is very clever. And Rocco, Rocco ate a banana. The reaction on ITV was a little bit different. Will we hear a little bit of what ITV were saying? I've never heard so much rubbish in my life. Why do we have to listen to that garbage? It's just utter nonsense what he's talking about. He's manager of Manchester United, one of the biggest clubs on the planet, the squad he's got, the players, and he keeps moaning about fixtures and fatigue. We were just looking at some of the cup draws they've had. They've had an easy ride in the cup, some good draws, a lot of home draws. And um, the guy's talking absolute nonsense. Never heard so much rubbish in my life. Mm. Is it... Maybe the club's too big for him. He can't deal with all these demands of the matches. What, what, what matches? Cup competitions. They played a... Man United Reserves could have won that game tonight. Ah, I'm sick to death of him. <laughs> hmm. 
Well, that's one man who is not uh, who is not being taken in by this talk. No, I don't know. Has enough time passed since Roy Keane was at Manchester United that he's now just another hater? Are people... Do people think... I mean, do you think, Owen, that that's all traceable to the time that Jose Mourinho tried to shake Roy Keane's hand before the end of the Chelsea-Aston Villa match that time? Oh... Did he do this for Roy Keane? No, he did. Yeah. Lambert, Lambert and Keane yes. are sitting there in the Villa bench and Chelsea obviously winning. And that was it, Mourinho yeah. wants to shake hands. And Keane just ignores him. Is yeah, that he, right? He, he, yeah, but he, he came back to it then a little bit later. I mean, he was asked about it at his book launch, actually, his uh, his more recent book. Mm, uh, and, second half. And yeah, he didn't like that, certainly. Although, you know, who knows if, whether that's the entire base for I mean, I just think Keane is, I think Keane is recognising as he calls it, nonsense. But I do think it's a nice piece of analysis. There's the odd flash from Roy Keane of very entertaining and insightful analysis. And it's usually around something like that as opposed to anything too heavy on the tactical side of things. Maybe the club's too big for him. <laughs> That's man good... who has managed Chelsea, Inter Milan, yeah. Real Madrid. It's a good line. Though. Finally manages a big club. And I can only conclude, I mean, Jose Mourinho has, has an interview with France in, in France football coming out tomorrow. Um, apparently a big a, a big um, interview 12 pages long and they have released just a couple of little teasers and I noticed there's a line in this uh, you have to adapt to the reality of the club its needs and its demands it's called being intelligent <laughs> it's called being a smart person uh, he, that's not a quote from Jose Mourinho uh, the priority is to establish relations of peace and love in a group to create stability Manchester United no longer has the super personalities like Ryan Giggs Paul Scholes or Roy Keane. This is an interview that was clearly carried out sometime before uh, last Thursday evening um, because I can't wait to hear what the response from Jose Mourinho is going to be. His principle is, you know, you um, you hit him, he's going to hit you back harder. So I'm sure there will be there will be some response. Oh, we, Roy Keane didn't like the banana bit either. Can we hear that? He's talking about the player collapsing. It was, it was no. That was easy, easier than a training session. A good <laughs> talk training session. You'd have 11v11 on the training pitch. That was easier than that, and he's talking about players collapsing. Yeah. What rubbish. Have, have you ever wanted to eat during a game? Have you ever seen anybody eat during a match? Throw half-time jelly no, babies and all I've that. I've seen players get uh, maybe some uh, Jaffa cakes passed onto the pitch. So I'm not, I wasn't shocked and surprised that a player was looking for some sort of food, but I think they made it a bigger drama than what it was. He's got other staff. One That's of the, right. the fitness coaches could have come with that. The medical staff. He's passing on to Ashley Young. He's passing it on. Mm. I, th I think that was all staged without a shadow of a doubt. Anyway, so, the, so they play Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough are the lowest scoring team in, in uh, the country. You know, the, nobody has scored fewer goals than Middlesbrough. Go all the way down the divisions. Nobody. Uh, they've just sacked their manager because they've been playing so badly. Their manager, of course, I talk around because Jose Mourinho's protege. He had a few little pops at them in the pre-match uh, press conference. Um, you know, he he obviously was defending his his friend. So he Crank, pops at the club. He pops at Middlesbrough. A few pops at the players, Middlesbrough players. He was he was kind of saying, "Look, I know who these guys are. You know." Yeah, I know what's what's happened with Itor. Obviously, they're, they're close. He, I'm sure Ida Kranka's given them chapter and verse, at least the Ida Kranka view of what went on there. Um, but they go out, they play against Millsborough, who are a really bad team. Um, they score uh, They score against 2-0. Uh, and then in the last, with, with 23 minutes to go, Millsborough put on Rudy Justed, who was a big lad. And they've already got Negredo on the field, so... It's clear what Middlesbrough are going to try to do here. It's not really a problem, though, because Manchester United already have uh, three centre-halves on the field. But Jose Mourinho thinks it's time to bring in a fourth centre-half. Now, this is the part that I couldn't... This is the part that I thought was was really... was, was not good. What, you don't play with four central defenders. You don't play with four players in one position like that. It's particularly away, you know, when you're winning 2-0 against the lowest scoring team in the country, there's no need to have four central defenders. Well, didn't Jack Charlton used up about six? Only at the end when things were really coming apart. I mean, when we played... We had four centre-halves and four full-backs. Against Holland, you know, there, there was some... Excuse me, sorry, I've not my microphone. microphone. You always get excited. excited when we go back into the... Jack Charlton years. Um, yeah, the, the game against Holland, Jack Charlton's last game as Ireland manager featured, you know, everyone seemed to be Jeff Kenna. It was like... Oh, but even earlier on, I, I don't know why I'm bringing up Jack Charlton. Even earlier on, though, he, he Paul McGrath in midfield. Well, it, it was it, it was an oddity of the squad that we had, that we had, you know, 
Kevin Moore and uh, Mick McCarthy, uh, David O'Leary, Paul McGrath, Mark Lawrence, and the, the, they were all central defenders. So it was kind of, but they were also among our best players. Well, not all of them, but some of them. So it was a case of McGrath was always put in midfield because although he was a central defender, he was also probably our best central midfield player. So, you know. Yeah, no just, relevance to what we're talking about here. No, and I apologize I mean, for bringing jo- it up. Jose Mourinho's got he's got a bigger squad than Jack Charlton did, and he's also got the ability to to buy players if he wants, and indeed he has. But I, but but this is just a really it's it strikes me as a really basic understanding of football, an un, a, a basic and misguided understanding of 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 how football works. It, I, I wrote in the piece that it reminded me of Berlusconi at Milan. Berlusconi obviously was never, never the manager of Milan. He was the owner of Milan, and the, you know, obviously, obviously, as the, you know, he can, he's the sort of um, most powerful man in the country to some in in some ways, uh, and at certain times he felt entitled to speak out about the game and and what he thought. And his thing was always there aren't enough strikers. We aren't playing enough strikers. Capello only wants to play one striker. Ancelotti wants one striker. Zoff, when Zoff was the Italy man, Zoff uh, took Italy to the final of Euro 2000. Um, Del Vecchio with Totti behind him. Decent enough. Strike partnership, you would have thought, but not for Berlusconi. He, he thought Totti should have been behind two strikers. You know, And he, and he would say this. Zoff actually said in his in his sort of parting statement, you know, I'm not going to take, I'm not going to stay in this job to be abused by that idiot. You know, that was kind of his, his tone. But this was the, this was the idea. Just the, it's the idea that the more strikers you've got on the field, the more likely you are to score, which is completely stupid. You know what I mean? Hmm. And the same thing, the more defenders, the more central defenders you have, the more, the less likely you are to concede a goal. Similarly stupid. I mean, they they took what ten minutes to to actually let in a goal. All of their all of their four central defenders managed to lose just dead the guy that they were supposed to be marking. It's easier to push put, to essentially throw a lot of centre halves on the field and plug some gaps than it is to score loads of goals with too many strikers. Though, just defending is easier than attacking in general. Yes, uh, but but again, defending requires a little bit more structure, and this is the kind of thing that that I would have thought Jose Mourinho th- this should be his specialist area, which is why I just thought it was it was bizarre and surprising. I mean, Middlesbrough are Manchester United have so much better players than Middlesbrough. You know, there is so, so much a stronger team than Middlesbrough that this should not they should not be curling up like a hedgehog. Manchester United are not a hedgehog. You know what I mean? They're curling up like a hedgehog, and it's and it's a case of well, hopefully we can repel this late onslaught from Middlesbrough. You know, Middlesbrough would literally have to start scoring goals at an unprecedented rate, you know, to, to get anything out of this game at this stage. Keep the ball and score a third goal. But just outplay Middlesbrough. Swat them aside. This is, you know, why are you inviting this pressure? That's what they did. It's such a negative mentality. It's the same thing that happened against Chelsea. Another game that we didn't really get time to, to get into. Chelsea last week. Again, Manchester United are playing a back six. You know, they... they they had a sending off. Herrera got sent off. Immediately, Mkhitaryan is taken off. Well, there goes your entire counter-attacking potential. There, there goes any chance of maybe think, scoring yeah, a goal. The, I think the really worrying thing from uh, Man United fans' point of view as well is that Fellaini, the fourth official, and Mourinho all appeared to know exactly what was happening. Mkhitaryan had barely been shown the red card and Fellaini was wandering onto the field <laughs> as if there was, well, obviously there's no choice to make here. Yeah. Forget about it. Like, yeah. they, they Doesn't every manager do that, though? Every single manager, I would say, practically without exception, takes off, uh, sacrifices a flair player for somebody who can plug a gap. But the plan to win the game was to beat them on the counterattack. Yeah. So the, the, like, the, the, the purpose of the game should still be if you're a manager a, aiming to win the game is to go and win the game I mean you know like it, Fellaini coming on there was to stop the score from being 4-0 yeah. and the score was nil all yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the time yeah. and that's and like it's a cup game I mean it, it's a bit of a shot to nothing yeah. the idea that the, the 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 reductive nature of that substitution followed on by what people saw last Sunday is why Manchester United fans should be really worried about this. I think it is worrying because it's it, every time the that sort of pressure is on or something looks a little bit dodgy, you get this hedgehog reaction. You know, and that's not... Uh, I think it's overly pessimistic. I think he needs to have more confidence in his players. You know, I think he needs to actually show more faith in the ability of the team to, to win these games. They've got an amazing squad. They've got lots of brilliant players. I mean, you, you describe, for instance, Mkhitaryan as a flair player. Like, you know, everyone knows what flair player means. 
means a skillful, unreliable player who's who's soft. You know what I mean? That's what the, that's what the word kind of implies. Mkhitaryan is a bit more than that. He's. I think Mourinho should. I think that's how Mourinho does see him. But I think he should actually see him as as being more than that. Um, but he is, I suppose, capable of changing at least because here, let's just hear a little bit from Jose Mourinho because this is him after the after the match. They've 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 won three one. I mean, there's a horrific error by Valdez. Remember Valdez trying to trying to push Mourinho off the field uh, on, on arguably his greatest night when Inter knocked Barcelona out of the Champions League at the, at the new Camp and Mourinho ran onto the field, yes, you know, pointing up to the Inter fans at the top of the stand and Valdez came running over and roughly tried to shove him, shove him away because Valdez was a sore loser, he couldn't take it. Well, Valdez fell over. Exxon Valdez. Disaster. In the penalty area, simple goal for Valencia. Mourinho, huge celebration, huge celebration. Down the tunnel, um, spreading acrimony everywhere. And the players started fighting the tunnel. Everyone was kind of talking about that. It was the same. After each game, it's the same. After the Chelsea game, it was the oh, the referee. And the next day, it was, you're all jealous of Pogba. You're all jealous of Pogba. He makes too much money. And then after the Rostov game, it was, oh, our, our fixtures, we're dying. We need, we need a banana. And then after this, it's, you know, there's always something other than the game. Uh, but here he is. This is his first answer to a question. We have, we're not going to play all of it because the first part, he's basically asked, huge win for you, Jose. And he says, yeah, huge, huge win. And, and talks a bit about how huge the win is. And then unsolicited adds the following. Do I prefer finish fourth or, or win the Europa League? I prefer to win the Europa League because Europa League give us the same, give us Champions League football, but give us a trophy, give us prestige, give us an European Super Cup. So I would prefer. Well, that's, uh, I mean, who wouldn't, who wouldn't prefer uh, the luster of silverware, uh, even if it is only the Europa League, to the top four finish? Well, Jose Mourinho is who, based on everything Jose Mourinho's ever said about this competition, uh, at least since he won it himself in 2003. Uh, you may remember Jose Mourinho took over Chelsea in 2013. The manager had been Rafael Benitez, and who, who had won the Europa League. I mean, he'd been in the Champions League, got knocked out in the group stage, went into the Europa League and beat Benfica in the final that, that season, um, making it two years in a row that Chelsea had won European trophies. A good achievement, you would have thought. Jose Mourinho said, shortly after taking over at Chelsea, I don't want to win the Europa League. It would be a big disappointment for me. I don't want my players to feel that the Europa League is our competition. In August 2015, Jose Mourinho returned to the same thing. Um, I felt the experience of Chelsea playing Europa League was not good. The Europa League is a different competition. It's a different level of competition for a different level of player and a different level of club. It is not good for a big club to go there and win it. Ah, yeah, well, times change, Ken. Times change. Times change. People change. That's it for today's edition of Ken's Report on Sport. What, you, what are you saying? You're just a phony, man. This is just for I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day. Supposed to look. This ain't wrestling. This ain't the WWE. My belly's just a little big. My hand is just a little big. This is just an act that you're doing. You should be an actor. But brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad. I'll never do that. There were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's dead, brother. And the other was right here. You can, you can run around like you're a preacher and all that you want, but baby, I promise you, I will baptize you. You can't teach that. We're going to get a little bit deeper into this uh, Irish injury crisis, um, which seems a little bit tricky for Martin O'Neill with Emmett Malone. But uh, we really should start, Emmett, first of all, with this tragic news and the death of Ryan McBride, the Derry City captain. I mean, it's just uh, an unthinkable tragedy, really. 27 years of age. He seemed to have a a pretty strong reputation within uh, League of Ireland football. Yeah, yeah. He had a reputation for being very dedicated, really good pro, very into, uh, into, you know, a leader on the pitch, but also kind of just that kind of particular, I don't know, aura that comes with a with being a sort of one club man. You know, his ambition when he grew up wasn't to go to England, he said, but to play for Derry City. He did that. Um, he's had the last six years or so there, became captain and um, and just seems to have been revered in and around the club and, and, and by those people who followed it. Um, you know, I, I think in these sort of situations, you're always 
always going to get very nice things said about a, a, a person who, who passes in such you know sudden and tragic circumstances. But I think you can really get a sense of uh, of the esteem you know that you know that people held him in that the, the, the kind of love for him that there was out there um, uh, from the last twenty four hours on social media and from talking to people. You know, people everybody just seems to have been very deeply affected by it. It's one of those clubs as well, Derry City. You get the sense that the the supporters, people who are close to the club are really close. Well, he'd be one, as you say, his dream would have been to go yeah. play for them. And they obviously lost Mark Farron not so long ago uh, who, who died. Josh Daniels, one yeah. of their players, he was he lost five members of his family in that accident at Buncrana Pier, I should say, a year yeah. ago. An unthinkable amount of tragedy seems to have struck them recently. Yeah, it's true. I, I, look, I, I think it's thing about the League of Ireland that um, the clubs aren't quite big enough to 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 to, to really impact, uh, you know, across the board in, in in cities like Dublin and you know, well, Cork, Cork to a lesser extent. Um, you, you know, they don't they don't kind of overwhelm the the population of the city with their presence uh, uh, the way you would have in in a big English city and a very very big English club, a Premier League club or whatever. But I think you see that this, the, the the strength, the community roots of, of of the game and the clubs in places like Derry, and there's no doubt that that Derry. City Football Club has a huge part, a very central part to play in the community up there, and uh, and they've been through an awful lot over over the the last year or so. You know, um, uh, Mark Farron. I mean, it was it was much publicised along and, and and difficult battle that he had with cancer, and the, the Josh Daniels thing was it was a tragedy that affected the whole community because of the number of people involved, and and, and I think uh, Josh became a, a focal point for that. But um, this is different again. I mean, the suddenness of it, and uh, and just the the kind of I don't know the defection that. There was for this guy because he was, you know, he, he he because of the reputation he had as a player, because of his dedication to the club. Um, it's 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 very difficult. It must be very difficult for everybody up there to, to come to terms with. Absolutely, yeah. Martin O'Neill spoke well about it today at the press conference, but then had to get on with the business of talking about his squad. Quite a few injuries here, Emmett. The mm. likes of Duffy, Clark, Brady, Arthur, Hulahan. They were all they all started indeed against Austria last time out that's quite a hole to be missing from from the team yeah yeah and and as you look at things at the moment you know um he can just about kind of get to the stage where he has a team that you know has not yeah a hugely unfamiliar look about it i mean you you know he's he's missing he's missing clark and duffy at the back but if uchey and uh, and kyo come in then okay look you know it's not so long ago they were the first choice players in the team um, the the kind of probably the the the, the front end of the the european championships um but there's no leeway anymore. There's no room for manoeuvre. You know, if one of those goes, then we're, then we're looking at somebody very inexperienced stepping into the fray. Uh, in midfield, um, a lot seems to hinge now on whether McCarthy makes it. And um, it was difficult to read uh, uh, O'Neill on that today. Um, he says that McCarthy himself is sort of optimistic enough about his, his own chances, but he certainly wasn't kind of taking that as any sort of guarantee. He was talking about the fact that he has a couple of days to get through that they'd see later in the week. And, um, and I think obviously they'll give him as much time as... Uh, as they can. Whelan comes back in okay, again, you know, this is somebody who started a lot of games for Ireland, has been a regular in this campaign and um, uh, no great, you know, downside to that but in terms of the sort of players who who create things for the team, who you know, who create a pose a danger in front of the opposition goal uh, who you look to to unlock a defence or take a set piece, then then Brady, Brady missing out is is, is a big blow and, and Hulan was, was you know, obviously came into the reckoning very much to, to step into that position and, and and now he's gone as well. So it's um, it's not a great situation, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the you know the three goals of the year on the shortlist for your two yeah. awards, there was you know Brady's goal, obviously won it against Italy, but Hulahan scored one of them against Sweden, got the assist for the other two against Austria and mm. Italy. So yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. Without that, uh, I mean, with with kind of our our main source of creativity taken out of the team, is there a chance for anybody else to come in and stake a claim there who who hasn't already been a big part of the team? Uh, I'd be surprised if, if, if things stay the way they are. Um, I'd be surprised if anyone kind of new gets a big chance. I mean, Hurhan would be maybe the ob- obvious one, but um, I think the, the, the kind of most likely winners out of all this, if, if that's the way you want to put it, would be... Um, would be McGeady, who must be in with a fairly decent chance at starting, and the question then would be, you know, how they accommodate him, uh, and and possibly Myler, who would be, you know, uh, if McCarthy misses out, then a, a, a likely or or fairly kind of plausible replacement for McCarthy um, uh, alongside Whelan in, in the holding position. But I mean, there's a fair bit of playing around you can do in that in those central midfield positions, and maybe in, uh, taking in the right side of a three, um, but they don't involve many players. I mean, you're talking about maybe whether McGeady starts in the middle. 
and uh, Walter starts uh, on the right behind Long, or or maybe you switch to two of those around, or you start Hendrick in a in a withdrawn role, or 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 or, or in a number ten role. I mean, it, there's basically kind of four players taking three positions there, and um, uh, and 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 insofar as they, they they're all kind of established players, that's no huge blow. McGeady is back in form, and you know O'Neill, we've seen time and time again, is very well disposed to him. I mean, ultimately he stopped picking him because there really wasn't a case to be made for him back at Preston this year he's made a bit of a case for himself again and and I think um I think it'll be interesting to see whether whether uh, O'Neill starts him because he is has been so positively inclined towards him in the start, in the past but um but there's no there's no uh, there's no real room now if if other players got injured then absolutely you are talking about throwing players in here who um who lack experience at this sort of level and um you know, I mean, look, uh, Hurahan has done well at club level over the last year or so. Uh, you can make an argument for, for him deserving a chance, but it's probably not the, the circumstances in which O'Neill would have wanted to give it to him. Emma, we had Damien Delaney on our show in London uh, late last yeah. week, and he was making the point that he feels that we don't give the players enough credit for the footballing ability that they have. And he actually feels that this team, even though they're going well in the group and getting good results, could be, play- could be more successful long term playing in a more expansive way. I guess, though, given the some of the the identity of some of the injured players, Brady and Hulin in particular, and to an extent Harry Arter as well, mm. and the derby type nature of this game, yeah, it's not it's going to be pretty much blood, <clears throat> blood and guts football on Friday night, I assume. Yeah, I well, it's hard to avoid that conclusion. I, I think O'Neill has constantly expressed that sort of desire himself to see them uh, to see them play a bit more football, and um, and it's bewildering at times why they don't or can't I mean you would expect uh, players at this level to be able to get the ball down to slow it up more to pass it around to retain possession a bit more effectively than Ireland tend to do and and, and that's I guess why we look to the likes of Brady and, and, and Houlihan kind of proven ball players technically good good passes of the ball although as you know Houlihan uh, as O'Neill was pointing out I think in Moldova um, Houlihan lost a lot of possession out there that night you know and uh, so even the players you're looking for to improve things on that front can sometimes be the culprits um but yeah look um i think long term that is very much o'neill's uh, uh hope for the team he keeps talking about it it's a very much a recurring theme with him and uh, he wants to get there but um yeah i wouldn't be expecting too much p- uh, uh, progress on that front this friday no i <laughs> i think that the, the, the nature of it is going to be that uh, it's got a bit of derby to it it's not necessarily going to be something that uh, that o'neill wants in in, in, the, in in this game you know certainly not as much as he would have wanted perhaps in some of the others a more settled kind of passing game because uh, because you would fear that the welsh are going to be more effective at that um uh, Bale is going to take a, a fair bit of stopping if he's if, if he's at his best. And uh, you know what? Of 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 all the recent games that O'Neill has had, and for all the talk he's 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 given us about uh, wanting to improve that side of Ireland's game, I don't necessarily think that he'd be complaining too uh, too loudly if uh, if Friday's game is a bit stop start. Although obviously, obviously, you want to try and keep the ball. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I'd just be a little bit concerned if we end up getting a bit too caught up in the emotion, like we did in that away game against Scotland. Well, that's a long time ago now, so that, let's not worry too much about it. That conversation today, you know, that 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 away game in, in Scotland, and uh, and um, yeah, I mean, we saw how badly things can can go wrong there. But you know, look, I mean, they 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 were the better side on the night, and um, I don't think we came away from that with, with too many complaints. The difference here is um, uh, the the you know the fact that that that. We're, Sorry, you're you're talking about the the home game, are you? No, the away game against Scotland oh, when, when, when we got way too wound up and seemed to yeah. both teams went in for a fight, but Scotland remembered to play a bit of football that day. It's it's a long time ago now, but yeah, it yeah. Might, there might no, be some mistakes. That's, that's all fair enough. Yeah. I think. Yeah. All right, Emmett, brilliant stuff. Thank you. All right, cheers. Well, now that I think of it, we weren't very good in either of those matches against Scotland. But it is the away one I'm thinking of, particularly where we got caught up in this, oh, let's get stuck in. Oh, there's a lot of anger around James McCarthy and mm, McGeady, all this McGeady. stuff. And we, everyone was getting stuck in. McCarthy but... wasn't. McCarthy didn't turn over that one. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> McCarthy made sure he wasn't uh, yeah. wasn't present on the night, but McGeady was, and he was getting uh, pelted. Although I'm, I have to say, I didn't really feel it was that I suppose it was probably tough, actually, for McGeady. I mean, he, as a former Celtic player, maybe he had harboured hopes that, you know, the crowd might go easy on him a little bit, and they didn't at all. Although I don't think that the crowd at Celtic Park that night was was hostile and sort of, oh, this is really quite nasty. No, like, but... The, it, was, the, it was just enthusiastic it, football kind of support. Yeah, no, there was nothing too, too dodgy about it. It was just more the fact that the, 
it created this environment. As international football goes, it was a strange game. You rarely see international matches that full-blooded. It's like two, oh, it was an old 1980s English club game. But Scotland, as I mentioned, I mean, their goal was very clever. Ireland mm. switched off at a corner. They scored this goal from a short corner. Look, this is all ages ago. And the point is that we have played since then a lot better in games against other teams. I'd just be concerned that maybe when Ireland come to play Wales, we both come down to each other's levels a little bit. And then Gareth Bale decides it with a stroke of genius. I just, it has that written all over it a little bit. So I'm hoping we can be, at le- you know, we can play a bit of football while also getting stuck in again. I am a little Nothing bit scared of, of Bale and what he mm. could do, what he could do to us. I mean, it is, you know, if he, if he is at his best, we're not going to be able to stop him. That's, that's the reality. We will be bringing you some very special programming around the Ireland-Wales match this week on the World Service. Now to Arsene Wenger, who... After the fairly pitiful defeat against West Brom, created a stir among the assembled media when he says, listen, I'll, you'll all know very soon what my plans are. Don't worry about that. And there was a sort of a knowing twinkle in the eye, as Ken has said. But uh, it was at the time, it seemed to be reported that, oh, this means Wenger's probably going. But uh, reporters today who follow the club say that it's quite the opposite. He's going to stay. Uh, we'll talk to Philippe Claire about this. Philippe, are they correct in your opinion? Will he stay? Yes, I do. Um, I cannot say I've spoken to, to the man himself after the press conference, and that is something that I, I know from him directly. But um, I think it's been pretty clear um, if you if you follow Arsene, if you followed Arsene for a while, that um, his reaction is absolutely typical uh, of what um, he's been and what he's done in the past. Every time that he's criticised, and that has been very often, especially of late. It takes that um, as a reason to carry on, to fight on, because he is really driven not just by the fear of failure, but also by um, a wish to prove his critics wrong. And since he's a man who has got extraordinary self-confidence, he genuinely believes he's the man to turn the situation around and that people are wrong in in their assumption of um, what is not happening at, at the Arsenal. He's also very sanguine about his own um, achievements and indeed even some of the performances of his team this season which to people from the outside would have looked like um, not the swan song but the kind of a the squawk of a dying duck um, I'm thinking of um, the performance against Bayern Munich and one of the reasons why when he said this thing about you'll know very soon I immediately um, thought oh, he's going to confirm his day I was really struck how uh, after the 5-0 win over Lincoln City in the Cup. On three occasions, he, he repeated the first one, the, the question had been put to him, the, the other two, it was totally unprompted. He told us how he had watched again and again uh, the 5-1 uh, home defeat to Bayern Munich and that his conclusion uh, had been that Arsenal had had an outstanding game and he used that expression outstanding three times. Um, so that's going way beyond protecting your own players after an, an awful night at the Emirates. It goes with the perception of what his team is doing and where his team is heading, which is his and his only almost. Um, so many people will feel quite um, will feel that this actually reinforces and strengthens their conviction that the time has now come for him to say goodbye. But as far as he's concerned, that's not the case. I know, Philippe, that you... I mean, having followed Arsene Wenger, I guess his entire career in management at this stage. Yes. Um, he, th- th- you think that he is a, a tremendously stubborn and obstinate competitor who has got um, <laughs> a great inner strength. And I, that's clearly uh, the case, but it, it's been tested as never before, really, by this whole situation. I mean, you've got this, this sort of whirl of, of anger um, in the crowd. You've got pretty much the entire media it, it, apparently, in 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 agreement that this is this is done. It's just a question of you know it, it's already over. It's just a question of when Ars- Arsene Wenger realizes. Um, he looks out on the field and he can't really be sure, based on the way his players are performing, that they're still with him. And even you know he's got former players like Martin Keown. For instance, I saw Martin Keown on television saying that he was worried about Arsene Wenger, that he thought he looked unwell, which I thought was was um, you know you, you don't often 
hear a pundit make that type of comment about somebody, you know, sort of almost expressing concern for Wenger's health. I mean, what do you think of, of Wenger's uh, current situation? Do you think that he, he is struggling with this situation? Yes, he's struggling. Um, like every single fan is struggling. Um, he's struggling, but on the other hand, he is um, stubborn as a, what's the collective noun for donkeys? Not just one, but uh, a whole posse of them. And um, he won't bulge. That, he's always been like that. Now, I made some comments on Twitter which were completely misunderstood, uh, saying that he would use this as a spur, excuse me, um, to carry on. And that's exactly what he's going to do. He was actually very calm when he spoke to the press after the 3-1 defeat at West Brom, which is quite remarkable because it had been an appalling performance. But um, I, I don't worry about his physical state. I'm more worried about um, this siege mentality which he's uh, imposed at, at Arsenal and at the training ground, becoming something more than that. I mean, there's, there's always been a... Um, a quasi-paranoid aspect to his personality. He's always talked about plots and people being against him and the media fanning, um, fan anger and discontent, having a go at former pundits, at, at former players, excuse me, who had become pundits. Uh, you remember his um, tiff with Thierry Henry, uh, which came after um, Henry had criticized um, the fact that, you know, Olivier Giroud was perhaps not, uh, should have, um, somebody to um, compliment him or compete with him, which was not the case at the time. So all these things mean that um, he's a... The, the world in which he lives, I believe, is getting smaller and smaller. Um, I'm re repeating things that we've already probably talked about in the past many times. The fact that he's surrounded with people who do not um, see differently from him who are basically people who are able to say yes, sir, uh, which is different from um, a number of other coaches. It might surprise you, but Jose Mourinho is very much somebody who loves being challenged in private. But I don't think that's the case with, with, with Wenger. And actually, every time he's been challenged, even though he says, everybody's got the right to criticize me, um, then, then he says, oh, but I'm the biggest critic of myself. And that, in a way, invalidates the critics that come from the outside. So it's not a physical problem. It's more a question of appreciation of the of the outside world. Um, the club has um, withered in terms of its um, openness to others and people from the outside. From I would say the mid two thousands onwards, and uh, the process hasn't stopped, and it's now getting to the point which is it's becoming actually quite ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Philippe, you, you mentioned there that you made some comments on Twitter which were uh, widely misunderstood. Mm -hmm. uh, could you characterize the misunderstandings? What, what, in what way were people, you know, I grabbing going into the I, stick? I, I think the frustration is such among so many Arsenal supporters and who've been very, very loyal. They've been incredibly loyal and patient. It's very easy to, uh, to have a go at Arsenal fans and saying, oh, what are you complaining about? Look at them. They're ridiculous. They've been bearing with, uh, you know, what is a, a measure of success, which is also a measure of failure for a number of years now. And, and they've been extraordinarily patient because the man had garnered so much credit in the past. But I think that every, every, any time you're going to try to explain how Wenger works, people are going to take that as a kind of justification of what he's doing, which, of course, is not the case. You're just trying to analyze and to share that analysis with, with others. But the others are so frustrated, they are actually answering to questions or points which haven't been made. And, and that, that tells you um, uh, how deep the uh, disaffection and disillusionment, dis 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 I'll get there, uh, is um, with Arsenal fans that we, it's gone to that. I mean, I was after the um, Lincoln City game uh, I retreated to one um, an old Arsenal place, which is called used to be called the Saint Daniel. It was packed with Arsenal fans there, and everybody was talking with each other. And we're talking about real loyalists there. And I don't think there was one single person in the room who thought it would be a good idea if Arsenal uh, carried on beyond um, June 2017. That that shows you how things have changed. If you had asked the same question, had had the same conversation with the same people. 
a year before that, they would have said, no, no, we've got to, you know, we've got to stick with, with Arsene. We won two cups. We finished second in the league, blah, blah, blah. They would have said, no, 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 let's give it a try. And um, there's this um, constant hope that things are going to, to be all right, which is at the root of the, the pain and the suffering which is felt by, by so many Arsenal fans, which is quite ridiculous because, let's be fair, it's only football. It doesn't really matter in the end. But that's the way it's perceived and the way it's felt. Okay, Philippe, we'll leave it at that. Thanks a million. Thank you very much. during the chat with Philippe there the tweeting of birds in the background a charm of finches I reckon that was Ken or maybe an exaltation of skylarks yes I have been looking at animal group names after Philippe asked what the <laughs> plural was for donkeys can't quite find that it's either a drove of donkeys a pace of donkeys or a herd of donkeys herd is too dull so will we go with a pace, pace, of yeah, a pace of donkeys? What about a Britishness of midfielders? <laughs> um, that was David Moyes never changed David Moyes uh, Talking about Sunderland, I mean, he says, uh, we're getting close to needing something special, says Sunderland manager David Moyes, who's trying to avoid relegation at the moment. It's been done here regularly. Let's hope. He loves the word hope. It's literally David Moyes' favorite word, and he always uses it when his team is in a difficult situation, and I just feel it's very deflating. Um, but the, but he, what he did say about their, um, their recent match uh, he said, I decided I wanted Jack and Gibbo to get a Gibbo there is Darren Gibson, the uh, Derry-born Republic of Ireland midfielder. I thought the game might suit more Britishness in the middle of the pitch. So, I don't know if Darren Gibson's heard about that. I assume that he has at this stage. But uh didn't work anyway. They, they didn't win the game. We've got another podcast out today. Features a lot of Ireland-England chat and a bit of a recap of the Six Nations from an Irish point of view with Shane Horgan and Jerry Thorny. And we have Michael Conlon on that show after his incredibly impressive debut. Well, actually, as he says himself, it was an F. That's what he gave himself for the performance, which is a little bit harsh. He, he did okay. He was a little bit loose in some of his punches in his first ever, uh, first ever professional fight. But the point of it was the way he's managed to sell himself and sell this, uh, this professional career. He had uh, packed out... Madison Square Garden Theatre, there to watch that amazing stuff on St. Patrick's Night. And we're going to talk to Andy Lee tomorrow as part of the World Service. Andy Lee was also back in action in New York over the weekend at Madison Square Garden for the first time. First time he's fought anywhere in 15 months since he lost the world title to Billy Joe Saunders. So Andy tomorrow, but Michael Conlon already out there. And that Monday show is, of course, available to all. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Garon. Thank you, Thanks, Thanks for Thanks, listening. Ken. Bye. Thank you, Ken. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.